If you have your Bible this morning, and I hope you do, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this really isn't a two-part sermon series, although we are kind of building off of last week. Uh, it's more because that's the flow that the text dictates. Uh, but if you weren't with us last week, we looked at uh, how the world sees uh, faith in Christ through their eyes. And so I'm just going to give kind of a one-sentence summary because it's important to transition to this morning's message on last week's message. You can go back and listen to the whole thing on our website. We have a podcast on iTunes, uh, videos on YouTube. Uh, but if we were to sum it up, we would say that lost people act like lost people. And that's really kind of what we looked at, right? That a world who doesn't believe in God, we would expect them to act in a way that they don't believe in God. And there was a lot of application we pulled out of that. But it's important for us to realize that the, the outside world, apart from Christ, cannot understand, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the things of the Spirit of God. It's foolishness to them. It doesn't make sense. And we shouldn't expect people who don't have faith and trust in God to live in godly ways. This morning, I, I want to look at faith in Christ, instead of through an unbeliever's eyes, I want to look at faith in Christ through a Christian's perspective, through our own lens. How should a Christian act? Now, if we're going to summarize this morning's message into one sentence, right? Last week was, unbelievers will act like unbelievers. What do you think this morning's message should be uh, for us this morning? A believer in Christ should act like a Believer in Christ, absolutely. In theory, right? Paul actually addresses this very thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He wants to address the church in Corinth because, quite honestly, they're not acting like believers in Christ. Now, certainly, we don't have that problem at First Baptist Church this morning, right? Everybody who's sitting here at First Baptist Church lives a life that reflects a mature Christian life in Christ, right? Right? All of our morals are, are in line. We don't do anything wrong ever. We're perfect in everything we do. We don't get upset, right? We get stuck in any little bit of traffic because we're from Robinson, Illinois. We don't know what traffic is. But when we get stuck in traffic, we, we don't get mad, right? The, the equivalent to that is when Marathon lets off, lets out, and you're trying to turn the left and the oncoming traffic won't let you because Marathon has left off, we're calm and we're patient, right? We don't ever get mad with our kids, we discipline them properly and we never yell or scream. We always handle family situations with, with class and with courtesy, right? We're good Christians who come to church every single Sunday that we possibly can. If we're not working and we're in town, we're here at church on Sunday morning because, goodness, that's what Christians do. We're perfect in every way, right? The fact that you didn't say amen means we need to continue on with this sermon in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. But really, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, but he's writing to us. Because while the outside world may think we have it all together, we know that as believers in Christ, we still struggle sometimes. More than we want to admit. Don't feel ashamed or bothered by the fact that you're stumbling on your walk with Christ certainly God wants you to correct those things. We're going to look at that, but, but don't feel like you're alone. Paul himself, if you're unfamiliar with, with the New Testament, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote the majority of the, the letters that we find 
in the New Testament, a very godly, mission-minded man, he writes to the Roman church, there are things that I want to do, and I find myself not doing them. Things that I know are right, and I just, I don't do them. And the things that I don't want to do, the wrong things, the sinful things, those are the things I find myself struggling with and doing. The very things I, I don't want to do, the sinful things, that's what I'm stuck in. Paul was not above this, this stumble. And so this morning, I want to look at how he addresses the church in Corinth. And he puts it in the, the illustration of milk and meat. And so we're asking the question this morning, how do we move from milk to meat? Now, perhaps we need to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read those first three verses to, to kind of see what he means by that and elaborate a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready. For you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you, not of the, uh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? So Paul begins this, this chapter by addressing the people and saying, I want to talk to you about spiritual things, but I can't do it because you're still infants in the faith. You're still babies in the faith. Now, quick question, and this is a, an easy answer. You can get an A-plus on your first assignment this morning. Is it okay to be a baby? I, I've got a two-year-old, right? So I know babies happen, <laughs> right? They, they're there. It's okay to be an infant. But, but Paul is not saying you are new to the faith. But he makes it very clear. You ought to be mature, but I'm still having to give you milk. You're still just a baby in the faith. We had trees in, when I grew up in Florida. They were lime trees. They were a cross between lime and lemon trees. They were really kind of neat. Uh, and as, as they grew every year, we could make li limonade. I don't know how you'd even pronounce that. But um, it, would just, it was just a, a unique blend, and, and they tasted good, and they were good on things. And, and there was a year in particular that a specific virus went around and, and infected most of the citrus trees in Florida. As a matter of fact, literally thousands of acres had to be burned because of this disease on these trees. And, and one of the signs that you would see is that the tree would not bear fruit properly. And so I always ask the question, is it okay that a tree doesn't bear fruit? Well, yes, when we first planted those lime trees, guess what? It took a couple of years and they were just leaves, no, no real fruit that we could pick and enjoy. But there comes a point in the tree's life that if it's not bearing fruit, there's only one good thing you can do with it. Let's use it for firewood, right? You, you cut it down, it's not meeting its purpose. It's just like my son Josiah, he's two years old. We see pictures on Facebook all the time of him as an infant. And we, we love seeing the infant pictures and look how little he was and how cute he was. But, you know, if two years later he still was, was 10 pounds, if two years later he still couldn't roll over, if two years later he, he still was like Benjamin Button, you know, just, just a, a tiny little guy and never grew taller than, you know, the, the 21 inches that he was born at, we would say there's something that's missing, right? At this point, you ought to be growing. That's what Paul's saying is, is at this point in your Christian walk, I have to be giving you deep truths. I have to be giving you spiritual meat. And yet, yet you're still infants in the faith. You've not progressed any and there's something wrong. It's important to look in verse 3 that Paul equates being of the flesh 
with behaving in a human way. Look at that. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? It's going to be important for us to remember that when Paul says behaving in a human way, what he means is you're doing things that appease yourself, your own flesh. It's sin. You're, you're living in a way that is consistent with your own desires instead of God's desires. So this morning, we want to ask the question, how do we move from milk and spiritual immaturity to meat being faithful believers in Christ. There are notes in your bulletin, but before we fill in blanks, there are a few other things that before we get to those points of application that, that I want to make sure we go over here. So you can jot these down on the side of your bulletin or if you take notes or maybe just follow them on the screen. Observations about the church in Corinth. The things that, that we recognize as we read the book of 1 Corinthians. First is, Paul assumes that the Corinthians are believers. He is not writing to lost people. It's important to realize that these are Christians who he's writing to. And how do we know that? How do we know that Paul's writing to Christians? Well, he tells us. Look at verse 1 again. But I, how does he address them? Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual people. Paul says, these are my brothers, and I need to write to you. There's only three ways the word brother is used in the New Testament. And the first is it's a physical flesh and blood brother. Well, these are not Paul's physical flesh and blood brothers. He's not talking about his siblings. The second way is, is Jewish people referring to their fellow Jews. As a matter of fact, Paul references wanting to, to give his own salvation for the sake of his, his brothers, the brethren, those who are also Jewish people. So sometimes he's referring to, to other national Jews like he is. Well, the Corinthian church was not full of Jewish people, so he's not referring to them in that way either. The only other way that brothers is used anywhere in the New Testament is for those who are united in Christ. Those who have salvation in Christ. So Paul says, you are my brothers not physically, not by our nationality, but by our union with Christ. And I can't address you as if you're spiritually mature. But I address you as people of the flesh. And here's another key. And as infants, how? In Christ. Paul wants to make it very clear. I don't doubt your salvation, Church of Corinth. I don't doubt that you are not believers. You're my brothers. You are in Christ. And yet there are some problems. So we realize that, that Paul assumes the Corinthians are believers. The truth is, it is impossible to be in Christ and still be in sin. But it is possible to be in Christ and still practice sin. See, the, the dividing line between Christians and not Christians is whether our identity is rooted in the fact that we continually sin. That doesn't mean we're perfect and we won't sin. It means that our identity is now in Christ. And these Corinthians are just like us. They are not perfect people. They still sin. They still fall. They still stumble. As a matter of fact, the second observation we can make is that the Corinthians are acting like unbelievers. It's gotten pretty bad in their church. They're doing things that Paul is later going to reference that pagans wouldn't even do. So, so what are their sins? What are the ways that the Corinthian church is falling? See if there are things that we struggle with as well. Well, for starters, uh, remember that Paul equates uh, the flesh with be uh, behaving in a human way. 
In verse 4, he says, One of you says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? Let's substitute those words. Are you not living in the flesh? Are you not living selfishly for yourself? The Corinthian church was acting selfishly, and they were boasting among each other. Chapter 1 gives us kind of a, a better picture of what they were bragging about. This is one of the most petty uh, sins, I think, that is revealed by Paul to the Corinthian church. In chapter 1, we read in verse 11, it's been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So this is their sin they're fighting. And what are they fighting over? Well, Paul clarifies his statements from chapter 3. What I mean in verse 12 is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Are you catching what their arguments were over? It was over who was being discipled by who. Oh, you think you're so smart. Well, you think you've got something. I was discipled by Paul himself. Someone else goes, Psh, you don't know anything. You don't know how Apollos came and he in invested in this church. And I was discipled by him. Someone else says, well, did you know that Peter, Cephas, performed my baptism? you got nothing on me. And then there's other people going, uh, guys, it doesn't matter. I, I want to just follow Christ. But ultimately, Paul goes on to explain it doesn't matter who shared the gospel with them. It doesn't matter who led them to Christ. It doesn't matter who did their baptism. It doesn't matter who discipled them. Paul is trying to tell them, quit fighting. We're all in Christ. There's unity among us, brothers. We're in Christ. This seems pretty petty, doesn't it? Who discipled who? Thankfully, our church at First Baptist, we never get into petty quarrels. <laughs> Do Christians ever get into petty quarrels in 2019? Hmm. I wonder if we get in any quarrels over politics. Have you ever gotten in an argument over politics before? Sometimes face-to-face, -face, an argument in politics, but you know where we really like to get petty is on Facebook or on, uh, on Instagram or on Twitter, right? We, we, we love to, to dive into this, no, I think this way's right, or I think that way's right, or, or I think this politician is wicked. Well, this one's even more wicked. And we get in these arguments and these fights over who's the best or who's the worst and who's right and who's wrong. We're no different from the church in Corinth. How about this? Is there ever fighting over, say, like church policies or church practices? We're not talking about things in Scripture. We're talking about, like, carpet color, right? <laughs> Did you know that there is, as told by one of my professors at my Bible college, maybe he made the story up, but he's told it is true that there is a church somewhere in Kentucky that I think they're the Red Carpet Baptist Church because they were not happy with the color that was chosen, and they decided to put red carpet in their new church, and they split so that they could have their church with their red carpet. Unreal. But we served at a church, my family served at a church, not First Baptist Church, if you're a guest, a previous church, years ago, about eight to ten years ago, we served at a church where there was fighting over the refrigerator. Can you believe somebody left ice cream in the freezer? I didn't know where else I was supposed to put the ice cream, right? This was brought up at a business meeting. <laughs> Ridiculous. But thankfully, we never have those kind of quarrels over preferences in a church, do we? Hmm. I think our church, our people, we as individuals can be as petty as a church in Corinth. What about money and finances? Do we ever get upset and quarrel over money and finances? Well, I lent this to this person and they didn't pay it back, or, or this person owes me this, or can you believe this person doesn't give or this person doesn't do? And, and we get in arguments and fights, even with brothers in Christ, over, over money, 
over things that don't last in eternity. What about attention or recognition? Do we ever fight over attention or recognition? Well, it pains me to say this, but at every church I've ever served, including First Baptist Church, there are times that, that there are people that have resentment because their ministry is not flourishing the way someone else's ministry is. That breaks my heart. That, that people, and, and we all get this way, are disappointed because somebody else is getting a pat on the back. Somebody else is getting the, the accolades. We become just as petty as the church in Corinth. And they fought and they fought, just like you would expect lost people to fight over these petty quarrels. I was discipled by Paul. I follow Apollos. We find, though, as the sin gets, gets worse, that's not the only sin that the church in Corinth deals with. As a matter of fact, we, we read about a much darker sin among them in chapter 5. Listen to what's going on with this individual. 1 Corinthians 5, 5 says it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans for a man has his father's wife. This was the practice going on in the Corinthian church. There was a man whose father had apparently remarried and he went and he, he stole his stepmom away from his dad. This is soap opera level stuff, right? This is a problem in the church, but here's why Paul's addressing it. One, because this man needs to be addressed, because this is wicked and dark and evil, but two, it appears as if the Corinthian church is turning a blind eye. Paul's saying you, you can't just turn the other way. You've got to do something about this. You can't have this person continually living in sin. You can't have this individual that, that's just committing all these egregious acts and you not say anything about it. Part of the Corinthian church's sin is not just that they practice sin, but that they, that they put up with sin that they allowed sin in their midst, that they, they were okay with it. I'm reminded of, of a, a sister denomination. We're, we're not affiliated with a denomination, but, but we hurt when we see Baptist churches struggle. And there's been recently a, an explosion over the last couple of years of, of thankfully not local churches, but, but nationwide churches in a, a different Baptist convention who have struggled with, with sexual immorality in their church and church leaders who have turned a blind eye to that. It breaks my heart that the Corinthian church, while we, we scold them, we do the same things in our midst. We can handle this, let's keep it quiet, and let's not make a big deal. Paul says, you can't hide sin among you. The Corinthian church struggled with petty sin, they struggled with this sexual sin, but they also had some division over their theology as well. They were fighting over, over what they should believe. You see, some thought that that meat that was sacrificed to pagan gods was unclean and sinful to eat. Other people realize, I don't have a lot of money, and after they sacrifice this meat to this pagan god, they sell it super cheap, and I can feed my family, and they went and they bought this meat and ate this meat that was sacrificed to another god. And so there's fighting among them. Is it okay to eat this? Is it not okay to eat this? Right? Ultimately, Paul clarifies, the meat is fine. Eat the meat. We don't care where you get your meat. God doesn't care where you get you. Don't practice a pagan idolatry, but you got to feed your family. Just eat, right? However, he, he wants to make it very clear not to do it and offend other people. So if someone is offended by it, just, just get along with them. Don't eat the meat in front of them. Save that meat for when it's just your family. The fighting goes on and it continues. And what does Paul decide? It's not about the meat at all. Paul says it's not man's understanding, but it's, it's God's freedom and love that teaches us truth 
from his word. That's why he writes in 1 Corinthians 8, 2 and 3, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he doesn't yet know it as he ought to know. In other words, if you think you can figure things out on your own, you can't. But if anyone loves God, he's known by God. Paul says you're, you're not looking at the Bible from a perspective of God's love and grace. You're looking at a Bible based on what you want it to say and what you want it to do. Don't do that. We see at least three sins that Paul has to confront. These petty quarrels over teachers, this sexual sin and apathy towards it, these theological debates. We see the Corinthian church is not acting like a, a group of Christians, are they? You know, to be in Christ means that you are no longer a slave to sin. You don't have to continue to practice sin. What we find is Christians continually give in to sin anyways. You know, apart from Christ, it's our nature. We would expect lost people to act lost. Why? Because that's who they are and that's how they act. But you in Christ, not so. That's what makes the sin of Christians worth calling out. That's why it's okay that Paul is saying, yes, I do have words of judgment for you. The lost man, the, the natural man, the one apart from Christ, cannot help himself. He's a slave to sin. By his nature, he must sin. But a brother who is in Christ, he's been freed from sin. He has the ability and even the responsibility to act according to God's word, not according to his own fleshly desires, just what he wants. So it's right and even appropriate to confront a brother who is in sin in a loving way. It's important that we look at our, our own church. Are there, are there quarrels that we need to, to go to and say, listen, God wants something better? Is there egregious sexual sin or, or maybe uh, one of these big, quote-unquote, big sins that we need to, to step in front of and go, guys, can we, can we work this out and confess our sin before God? Are there debates over even things like the Bible that, that we're just trying to interject our own opinions and not studying Scripture and reading what God's Word says for ourselves? It's important that we address a brother who is in sin. And this is one of the reasons why Paul is writing to the Corinthian church, because they are not acting like believers. They're acting like unbelievers. And so that leads to the problem of why they're infants. The Corinthians cannot move past infancy in Christ. As a result of their sin, their actions, the church is not growing. Because they're not living the way God has called them to live. Well, they're believers. Paul acknowledges that, recognizes them as Christians, but they're all still just babies in the faith. Paul says, it's okay that you're an infant at one point. You're going to need to grow and learn. But at this point, you've let sin overtake your life, and you're not where you should be. That's why Paul tells them and calls them in verse 2, infants, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready. As I read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I have to ask myself, am, am I one who is an infant in Christ and still, still just dabbling in the basics of, of what God has for my life? Or am I someone who's craving to know more, wanting to cut my teeth, wanting to know God's full glory as much as He can reveal it to me? Am I striving to know the things that God has taught in His Word? See, what we find is a, a point of application as we wrap up. 
is that fleshly living leads to hindered growth. Have you ever asked yourself, Lord, why, why don't I feel closer to you? What is keeping me from, from knowing you deeper? There are a myriad of reasons, but, but I think more often than not, it's because we're allowing our own desires and our own flesh, our own way of life, interfere with our own growth. Anytime you don't feel close to God, I think it's important that you take a moment and say, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm doing that I should not? Or, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm not doing that you've commanded me to do? Lord, what sin is there in my life? And what we like to do is, is hear a sermon like this. We like to read about the sins of the church. We like to read about all the things that, that the Corinthian church was doing. And immediately, here's what pops into our mind. Oh, I really hope so-and-so is paying attention. Boy, I hope Tracy wrote down notes on this because there's some things he needs to work on. I sure do hope that, that Mike and Marilyn get some things right because I tell you what, if they're not together, if they don't get this right, well, I hope they're, they're not going to grow in their faith. I tell you, Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he's writing to all of them. Don't look to your right. Don't look to your left. Paul says, is there anything in your life? Is there anything that you have going on that you need to confess? Is there something that's hindering you from knowing who God is? Is there something that's keeping you in infancy? Just dabbling in the milk of God's word instead of saying there's, there's truth to be known. The opposite is true. If, if fleshly living leads to hindered growth, then we have to know that godly living leads to a closeness with God. Why is it that God sets boundaries and morals and, and commands? Is it because he wants to see if we'll follow the rules and, and get a good grade or a passing grade? No. It's because he knows that living according to his word of living according to his purpose, doing the things he's called us to do, it leads us into a closer relationship with him. It draws us in. But really, it's a cyclical thing, right? Fleshly living leads to hindered growth. And because we're not growing, it makes us live more fleshly, which, which pushes us further away and leads us to hindered growth, which makes us live more fleshly. And around and around we go. Can I tell you, if you want to draw close to God, this is the cycle you want to be on. Godly living, it draws you into a desire to know more about God. And as you know more about God, you learn more about how God wants you to live, and it propels you to live a life that is God-honoring. And as you live that life that is God-honoring, you're reminded again that the only way you can do that is through Christ, and it brings you into His Word and draws you closer. And as you draw closer, it spurs you on to be even more godly in your way of living. This is the cycle we want to get on. We want to abandon our infancy days. Sure, there's a, a learning curve. Nobody's asking you to go from, from not knowing anything about the Bible to all of a sudden preaching on a Sunday morning or, or teaching a Sunday school class. No one's asking you to step right in and, into a leadership position at the church. Instead, could we not just draw a little closer? Could we not just have God reveal to us something we need to clean up, something we need to, to get right? Could we not just start by, by reading more, by growing more, by giving more, and allow God to take us in that process? Paul writes to the Corinthian church and he says, you're still babies, but you don't have to be. There's growth to be had. The Word of God is rich. There's so much in this book that, that God wants to teach you that's going to draw you in. I, I read one commentary, and I can't remember who the, the author of the commentary was, so I'll have to give credit later. But they made a very good point. 
And that is the difference between milk and meat is not really a, a difference in substance, but a difference in degree. He explained it this way. Everything that you can be taught in seminary can be taught to a child, just with different words. God's not hiding truth from you. God's not saying you need to get to a level where you're super knowledgeable. God's just saying he, he wants you to be able to apply it stronger. He wants to be able to teach it to you in a way that, that shows you're growing. God's desire is for you to get off of the milk. To, to stop relying on other people to, to pour into your faith. And instead, he wants you to grab the meat, the substance. And the way he says you do that is to break off that cycle of fleshly living and running from God and hindered growth. This morning, I wonder if there's a sin in our life, something we know does not characterize our faith in Christ, that we need to, to confess. Lord, I, I need you to forgive me of this. It's keeping me from knowing you, Lord, from having that right relationship. Lord, I put my faith and trust in you. I, I know you as my Savior, but, but I'm struggling and I want to be closer. Can you help me overcome? Or maybe this morning you're not on either one of these cycles because you can't be called brother in Christ, sister in Christ. Maybe this morning you, you're just now through the, the lens of the Holy Spirit realizing that, that you need that faith in Christ so that you're no longer a slave to sin. This morning as we prepare to, to have a prayer and worship together through one, one more song, would, would you examine your heart and say, Lord, what are you teaching me? this morning through the Corinthian church? What sin in my life do I need to confess? And do I need to give my life to you and start living a godly life based on your word? Let's pray. Father, we all want to grow. We all want to be more mature today than we were yesterday. Hey, Lord, for many of us, Lord, we're hindered from our growth because of our actions or, Lord, sometimes the sin of inaction. Lord, we confess our sins to you this morning and ask that, that you would help us not only repent or, or apologize, but to actually turn from and abandon and leave those sins behind. Lord, we ask for your strength in doing that because, Lord, it's hard. Lord, we thank you that, that it doesn't, uh, being a Christian doesn't mean that we'll always be perfect. It's a reminder that we're going to struggle and we're not alone in this struggle. And yet, Lord, you promised to, to grow us and to lead us. And so, Lord, make us faithful today to be closer to you than we were yesterday. Lord, let us never be satisfied when we stumble. Instead, let us yearn to walk with you. Lord, we pray for anyone in here who, Lord, just this morning, your spirit has, has revealed they, they're not a brother or a sister in Christ. Lord, they've been living according to their own flesh and according to their own desires with, with no real hope to follow you. This morning, let them know now that there's a promise that in Christ, their sins are forgiven. By confessing to you and acknowledging that, that you died in our place, Lord, you forgive sins. Or by making that commitment to trust you above ourselves, to know your way is better than our way, to make you our Lord. Father, let your spirit speak to them and, and show them that salvation. Father, we worship you this morning and pray that you would grow us closer to you. Let us throw off our sins. Lord, let us run to the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.